You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. However you're tuning in, wherever you're tuning in, it's a massive welcome for me. Um, We are continuing in our series as we are looking um, at the last words that Jesus spoke as he makes his way to the cross. So if you have a Bible with you, we are in John chapter 16 today, and we're going to read from verse 16 onwards. I'm going to read it to you, but you might want to follow along in your Bible as well. So we're going to dive right in, and here we go. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will, no, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I'll no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to ask anyone. Even Sorry, even need to have even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you'll be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I'm not alone for my father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. Amen. So here we see Jesus and he's spending his last evening with his disciples. He's comforting them and he's preparing them as they make their way up through the Mount of Olives and into the darkness of Gethsemane's garden. 
And as we look back over Jesus's journey, we see time and time again, this theme of comfort that runs throughout all that Jesus spoke. So back in chapter 14, Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. And then Jesus goes on to expand this theme of comfort as he tells the disciples that he and he alone is the only way, the only truth and the only life. And he has promised that they will never be alone because the Holy Spirit was going to come and was going to be with them. And he promised that with the Holy Spirit's help, they could live fruitful lives that were pleasing to God. And then just before our passage today, Jesus is speaking about how the Holy Spirit will sustain them even when the rest of the world is against them. And now in our passage today, we can see that even after all these words of reassurance, all these words of comfort, the disciples, they still haven't fully grasped what Jesus is saying. Yes, they understand that Jesus is going away, but they don't understand how or when he will return to them. So despite all that Jesus has shared with the disciples, they're still left feeling confused and uneasy about their future. And for us today, we also grapple, don't we, with times of confusion, times of uncertainty, times of when we just question, where, where we say to the Lord, why have you placed me here in this situation right here, right now? Or we're going about and we're living our lives and then suddenly something terrifying comes into our life and it completely derails us. And it's we're left fumbling in the dark and asking, how could you allow this, Lord? Why has this happened? We're confused, we're upset, we don't understand. And this passage is a reminder, if we needed one, that the Christian life is not an easy walk. It's not an easy life to live. It's a journey with many highs and with many lows. If you like, it's like two rail tracks that run parallel to one another. And you have one rail which is called sorrow and one rail which is called hope. And what we've just seen here is how in the midst of these two rails, these two tracks, Jesus brings both comfort in our sorrow and encouragement for our hope. And they coexist alongside each other as we follow Jesus. Because in this life, we will face battles and blessings. We will experience pain and also peace. There will be valleys and also victories. And we see how these two tracks move between Jesus comforting the disciples in their sorrow and then encouraging them in their hope of his soon to be finished work and then the coming of his Holy Spirit. And in John 14, Jesus promises that he's going away and he's going to prepare a place for them in his father's house. There we see the track of hope whilst also addressing their concerns that they're going to be abandoned and left as orphans with troubled hearts, the track of sorrow. Then in John 15, Jesus beautifully describes how the disciples will be his branches and he will be the vine if they remain in him. And if they remain in him, they will bear much fruit, hope again. And then afterwards, Jesus abruptly moves to warning them that they are going to face the full brunt of the world's hatred upon them. We see sorrow. 
And then Jesus encourages them with the hope of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then immediately he returns again to this subject of the hatred of the world being upon them. We see sorrow again. And in the passage immediately before this, Jesus is encouraging his disciples about how the Holy Spirit will be a floodlight that will illuminate Jesus. There's hope. And so as Jesus comes to the end of his earthly ministry on the eve of his betrayal, on the edge of suffering, we see in our passage today him once again bringing his disciples that comfort and hope in the light of the approaching storm of the cross. Arthur John Gossip, he was born in Scotland and he became a pastor of the Free Church. He was also a chaplain in both the First and the Second World War and he was also a professor. And in 1927, at the age of 54, here in Aberdeen, in Beech Grove, just one day after the sudden death of his beloved wife, this grieving pastor, he stood up to preach to his congregation. And his opening remark was a question that was pretty unforgettable. And the question that he asked his people was, when life tumbles in, what then? What then? And once again here in Aberdeen, 96 years later, our passage today, it compels us to ask the exact same question. When life tumbles in, what then? Point number one, we hold fast to the hope of resurrection power. Verse 20 and 21. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus says, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say that he'll take away all the confusion and he'll just make everything clear immediately. Jesus doesn't promise that we're not going to experience painful times, difficult times, deep, painful valleys in our lives. Neither does he offer to immediately uh, bring relief to those times of trouble and pain for us. Many of us understand what it is like to suffer, to struggle with much strife, much pain, many difficulties, anxieties. We know what it's like to weep and to mourn. We know what it's like to carry regrets, to live with sorrow and heartache. But when we go through these deep pains, these deep wounds in our lives, the good shepherd is always with us. Someone once said, if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, remember a shadow is cast by light. You know what that means? It means that Jesus slipped right through death's fingers. Death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. That means that it has no hold on us either. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees the resurrection of all who are in him, all who love him, all who have said yes to him, all who follow him. And it means that death is not final. 
Amen. I love that. C.S. Lewis said, the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has begun. Death is defeated. That means that no matter what happens in this world, what happens to us, what happens um, in, in our family's lives, it isn't the end. It isn't the end. Death isn't the end for us. Verse 22 says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And because of this, we can hold tight to this hope. We can hold fast to the sure and certain hope of Jesus's resurrection power. Whatever we're facing, whatever we will face, whatever pain, whatever sorrow we carry, however many unanswered questions and burdens and heartache we have, we have to remember that death is defeated. Our sins are forgiven. And Jesus' resurrection power is able to renew us. And it goes on renewing us. When we sing that song, we sing um, glorious day. We run out of the grave, out of the darkness, into that glorious day. What are we actually singing? We're singing about spiritual resurrection, the power of the resurrection operating in our lives in the here and the now. It's power to renew us. It's power that makes us new. It's power that regenerates our hearts, that sanctifies our hearts, and then continues to renew our hearts. It's Jesus's resurrection power that is working in our bodies, in our minds, and in our hearts over and over and over again. I love the way um, how John Updike, he's an American prize-winning novelist, he put it like this. He said, if the cell's dissolution did not re reverse, the molecules renit, the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. You see, everything depends upon the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was reading recently about a father who was struggling because his young daughter had asked him a question and the question was, Daddy, if Jesus died on the cross for us, then why did mummy have to die? And he couldn't find an answer. And so he said to his young daughter, could you give me some time to think about that? And one day they were out in the car and they were pulled up at some traffic lights and traffic was passing them by. And they were positioned in such a way that the angle of the sun meant that as a truck passed them by, the shadow of the truck fell over their car. And it gave this father an idea. And he said to his girl, darling, what would you rather happen? Would you rather be run over by a truck or run over by the shadow 
of the truck. And she said, well, Daddy, by the shadow of the truck, of course, because to be run over by the truck would be awful. It would be so painful. It would be so dangerous. It would be agony for me. And the father said to his young daughter, he said, darling, this is what happened. When Jesus died on the cross, he took on the truck of death. But when mummy died, she just went through the shadow of death. When we die, we just go through the shadow of death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And if we believe in him, we will never see death. Why? Because he took on death itself. He took the sting out of death. He conquered death. He defeated the enemy. So we can hold fast to this sure and certain hope of resurrection power. Because when we face it, we're not facing death as it really is. We're not facing it as it was for Jesus. We are facing the shadow of death. So we can sing, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. Secondly, when life tumbles in, what then? We press into prayer. Verse 23, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So a man came home one day to find that his wife had put a new plaque on the wall. I'm probably that kind of person. I like a plaque, I have to say. And the plaque said, prayer changes things. But within 24 hours, the wife was confused because the plaque had disappeared. So she went to her husband and she said, darling, I thought you liked the plaque. I thought you loved prayer. And he said, oh, I do love prayer. I just don't like change. <laughs> As we know, prayer changes things. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes our community. Prayer changes the church. Prayer changes our cities and our towns and our nations. Prayer works. Prayer changes the world. But it's not any kind of prayer where this happens. You know, you can't pray to the universe. You can't do this cosmic ordering thing that is so in trend right now, or the manifesting your desires that everyone seems to be thinking is a thing. Prayer doesn't change by itself. Prayer doesn't change things by itself. It's only prayer to the Father in the name of the Son where prayer changes things. And this is once again Jesus making a very unique claim about himself. If you want your prayers to be answered, then his name is the most powerful name in the whole of the universe and his name is the only name worth knowing. James 5 verse 13 says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Let them pray. Where else are we going to bring our desperation, our anxieties, our pains, our longings, our hopes, our dreams? 
We bring it to the Father in the name of the Son. When life tumbles in, we press into prayer. Tim Keller says, prayer is both conversation and encounter with God. We must know the awe of praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking his help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. His presence. And lastly, when life tumbles in, what then? We find a peace that can only come from Jesus. I'm not a great cook. I have to say I much more enjoy eating than I do cooking. Anyone else prepared to admit that? I'm sure there's a few hands that are going up now. One of the differences between Chuck and I is that when he cooks, he seasons to taste. And when I cook, I literally follow the recipe to the tea. So if it requires a quarter teaspoon of a particular spice, I'm putting that bad boy in. If, if it requires a herb that I don't have, I'll go to Aldi, I'll buy the herb. I follow everything by the book. And here we see Jesus and he's given his disciples the recipe for the peace that they are going to need to sustain them through all the trouble, all the difficult times that they will face. And the days that he's actually speaking about are in verse 33, where Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, the Greek word for peace used in this scripture means safety, it means security, it means harmony. This is about a soul that is free from disturbance, a soul that is assured of its salvation, having nothing to fear and being perfectly content with its lot in life, safe and secure in its relationship with Jesus. And that's where Jesus wanted his disciples and where he also wants us to get to in our spiritual growth. Just like when I cook, I refuse to use a cookbook that doesn't have any pictures in it because I want to know where I'm supposed to get to, what the thing needs to look like, where I'm trying to end up. You see, Jesus wants to give us his peace his sense of security that isn't dependent upon our circumstances or even understanding the circumstances we're in, which so often, if, if we probably most of us will admit, that's what we crave for, that's what we long for, but in a confidence that Jesus is above all things. He's in control. He's above every circumstance that we face. That is the peace that only Jesus can provide to us. It's not based on what happens or even on my understanding of what is happening, but on a trust in the one who is in absolute and complete control. And Jesus's invitation to us is to take hold and receive his peace because in him and him alone, we can have peace. For in this world, we will face nothing but trouble. Trouble at school, trouble at uni, trouble in our homes, trouble in our family life, trouble in relationships, trouble with finances, 
trouble in our work, trouble with our health. We will have nothing but trouble because that is ultimately the way of the world. But despite this, Jesus says we can take heart because he has overcome the world. Can you see it's the dual tracks? It's the dual tracks of pain and ultimate victory. It's a promise that encompasses both the cross and also the resurrection. Jesus prepares his disciples and us for the inevitable fact that to get to Easter, we actually have to go through Good Friday. To have the victory, we must follow Jesus as he carries his cross. Victory comes, but only at the price of a broken body and spilt blood of the only ever innocent man who ever lived. Ultimately, his cross is our only hope for peace in, in troubled times. That when life tumbles in, it reminds us that on the other side of all the pain and all the struggle, there is joy unimaginable. Why don't we pray? And Father, for everyone who is watching now, we pray that you would pour in your peace, your hope, Whatever situation and circumstances we are in, however bleak it may look, Lord, we know that your hope of resurrection power is the thing that we need right now. So we ask for that hope of resurrection power to flood every body, every mind, every heart. And for those that, who are watching that don't know your hope of resurrection power, who have not been following you. Jesus, would you re re reveal yourself to them? Would you show them that they can trust you, that they can put their destiny and their present and their past into your hands? and know that you are a good father. We love you, Lord. Amen. Amen.